Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. 1 Timothy chapter 6, things I've heard in church. By the way, next week, I'm going to talk about what if Jesus had not come? We hear tons about Jesus coming and the impact. What if he hadn't come? A lot of interesting thoughts to think about next week. But today, some things you usually hear around church life. I believe in God, but I'm not sure about this giving or tithing thing. I believe in God, but my sense of security goes up and down a whole lot with my financial condition. I believe in God, but I really do kind of feel what's mine is mine. Now with that, let me quote 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Here's what Paul writes. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So that's kind of an unusual section of Scripture where St. Paul says, command those who are rich. Well, that immediately raises the question, who are they? Would all the rich stand up? Who are the rich? Who does that apply to? See, and that leads to this question. How do you decide whether or not you are rich? Everybody wants to be rich, but how do you know if you're in that category? Well, here's the way most people decide. We look at other people. Then we look at our own income or our own wealth and ask ourselves, do I feel rich? Am I in that category? It's kind of strange, but feeling rich turns out to be very elusive. So we say to ourselves, well, if I had that amount, then I would be rich. Then someday you make that amount of money but you still don't feel rich. Fidelity Company did a survey with a 1,000 millionaires, and they asked them, do you feel rich? Now, here's what was interesting. People in the survey had an average financial worth of $3.5 million, but over 40% said, I don't feel rich. I don't know who's in the rich people category, but it ain't me. Well, in fact... On average, their response was that if you had 7.5 million, then you'd be rich, which means if you only had 7 million, you're not rich yet. (laughs) Guess who thinks having 7.5 million doesn't make you rich? People who have 7.5 million. Can you see this thing is kind of wild and weird and elusive? I don't feel rich because I figured that if you were rich, then you'd be content. Then you would feel successful. Then you would be secure. Then you should have enough. 
but I don't feel content. I don't feel successful. I don't feel secure. I don't have enough, so I must not be rich. So here's what happens. In life, we all define our own identity. Now, that's a critical part of being a human being. We all tend to define our identity, who we are, by comparing ourselves to other people. So we either compare up towards people doing better or we compare down to people doing worse than us. For example, if I want to ask myself, how am I doing in character or morally, who do I compare myself with? People doing better than me or worse than me? Worse, because I want to feel good about me. So when it comes to my financial life, do you compare up or down? See, we tend to focus on people who are making more than us because then we say, well, they're the rich guys, not me. And that bias kind of serves me well. I get a little benefit from my denial because as long as I put myself in the not rich category, I can rationalize not being generous. As long as I put myself in the not rich category, it's okay that I always want more. As long as I'm in the not rich category, it's okay for me to be judgmental about those rich people who are so materialistic. Like, I would never be like them because I'm not in the I'm rich category. So if we're going to read the Bible honestly, you have to start with a little financial reality. We have to break out of this denial bubble about who is being addressed when St. Paul says, command those who are rich in the things of the world. Now, most of you know that over 1 billion people in the world live on a dollar a day or less. Another several billion live on $2 a day or less. So I just kind of wonder if they visited us this morning and they looked at you or me, what category would they put you in? If you make $24,000 a year, you are over the 19th percentile of wealth in the world. If you earn $80,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wealth in the world. So if we're going to come out of denial and be biblical about this, people in Bible times, as a general rule, struggle to live one day to the next day. And that's been the case for the majority of the human race for centuries. When Jesus gave us the prayer to pray, one line of it says, give us this day our daily bread. Why daily? Because that's how people live. Most people struggled from one day to the next. So to be rich biblically is to have significantly more than you need to make it from one day to the next. And what that means is for most people in this room, you're rich. You should look happy. You've made it, baby. You can write the book. You can give the seminar. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age. And that's mostly us. So now we have to pay attention to what Paul wants to tell us about how to handle this fact. He says, not to be arrogant. So even in the early church, they lived in a world where people who had money could get proud of it. Sure, that wouldn't happen today. People who had money, who could dress right, live in the right neighborhood, look right, could be kind of catered to. 
there was a power that went with it, kind of like a celebrity status, entitlement. But Jesus is creating a different kind of community and a different kind of culture where those dynamics should not continue. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, he writes, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a Mr. T starter kit. I just threw that one in. And a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a seat for you, buddy, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Anybody ever find yourself responding differently to people who have lots of money? Ever? Of course not. Are you kidding me? See, every human being you ever see has a little price tag, bearer of the image of God. Every human being has a little price tag that says, worth the life of Jesus crucified on the cross. Every single life. But we live in a world where the price tags look really different than that, right? We're not taught to see that, but God is so different. Remember when... We're trying to get a new king of Israel, and the prophet Samuel goes to look for a kid among Jesse's boys, and he's got eight kids, and the first seven look like they ought to be on the front of some Christian magazine, you know, the calendar girl. Here's the December pinup for Charisma magazine. Here's the little hotsy-totsy girl or guy, whatever. Well, they look like it. Oh, man, this got to be the guy. And then here's what God says to Samuel. Man looks on the outward appearance. We do. But the Lord looks on the heart. He does. So Jesus wanted an alternative community where a poor man and a CEO could walk in and both get treated the same. Both get the same honor and attention and energy. And Jesus is really that way. I remember sitting at Discount Tire next to a lady who's from the Caribbean. She's had an earned PhD and I had a wonderful chat with her while we're waiting on our car tires to be repaired or changed. And I got to talking to her about church and faith, found out she was a Christian, but she had visited her church in our city. And upon she had dreadlocks, and upon walking in to the lobby of that large church, uh, the lady appeared to her and said, you know, I don't think you'll be comfortable here. You're not our kind. And I never... I thought, you better read your Bible right here. He just told us not to do that. What do you mean our kind? Well, let me tell you something. It goes on all over San Antonio and all over the world. We got churches founded on the Democrat Party. We've got churches founded on the Republican Party. We got churches founded on the Black Party, on the White Party, on the uh, All Lives Matter. We got churches founded on everything but Jesus. That's wrong. He said, don't do it. It's done every single weekend. And I, people don't like it. And then we have churches in the affluent area in the right zip code. They're not huge, but they're rich. Go figure. So you want to fit in. Everything Jesus told him not to do, we do. We are one weird, warped, messed up bunch of people. You know? Jesus, Jesus was not that way. And it's not just to be polite. 
It's a heart deal. It's what's inside of us. Out of the heart are the issues of life. What you need is not another law. What you need is a heart transplant to like Jesus. That's what he's asking you. Just change your flipping heart, you know? Dallas Willard wrote this. He says, only if we believe with our whole being in the equality of the rich and poor in front of God can we walk in their midst like Jesus did, completely unaffected in our personal relations by this distinction. Meaning, we can walk amongst rich or poor, celebrity or not famous, treat everybody the same. Hey, man, how are you doing? Can I help you? Can I show you around? And I hope everybody feels that when they come to visit his summit. That we're not here to promote anybody's race or culture or political agenda. We're here to honor Jesus. And if that's what you want to do, you're welcome. That's it. I don't care if you got tattoos on your face. You got enough metal in your face to set off the TSA alarm at the airport. I don't care. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to push you a little bit to realize we shouldn't do that. See, Jesus walked through life. And whether somebody looked really attractive or whether somebody had a lot of money or had no money, a lot of education or no credentials, he just loved people. So Paul says, Timothy, you tell rich people to put their hope in God because money doesn't love you. Money didn't die on a cross for you. And when you die, money ain't going to save you. Financial reality is it's not even my money. If you're a believer, it's God's money. Paul goes on to say, remind the rich people that God richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. See, people get kind of weird about money because they think it's their money. Paul goes on, tell those rich people, that's us, right? Don't get arrogant. So Jesus wanted a community where arrogance and special treatment based on wealth would be abolished. And of course, that means changing on the inside our heart. Tell them not to put their hope in money, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. So not only does he provide, he richly provides us with everything. All we have is from God for our enjoyment. So why does God provide joy? Because it gives him joy to give, and he wants us to have joy in receiving from him. Joy comes when, given, when, when giving is freely exchanged. A sociologist named Dr. Christian Smith up at Notre Dame University did a definitive study on giving and Christians in America. So he published those results in a book called Passing the Plate. We use buckets. One of the things he found was most Christians experience chronic guilt over money, particularly giving. He says, we were struck by what seemed to many American Christians as a comfortable guilt. They were aware they're not giving as God wanted them to. And initially they can say the right stuff, but under the surface, they're guilty. But it's a comfortable guilt. They keep that awareness at a low enough level of discomfort so they don't actually have to give or increase their giving. Just low-level chronic financial guilt. Now, that is not a good strategy. I heard about a man who had a guilty conscience because he had cheated the government on his taxes. So he wrote a letter to the IRS saying, I haven't been able to sleep a night because last year I lied on my income taxes. 
Enclosed is $500. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> I don't think guilt is a good long-term motivation for generosity. Nah, it won't work. Let me tell you what I've observed. I've never seen anybody over the long haul drift into a life of great generosity by chronic guilt. And our God is not a God of condemnation. It takes a personal, internal, Jesus-powered vision of the generous life in the awareness of the provision of God all around me and an eternity that's in front of me and the reality of the kingdom right here, right now with me. So Paul says, Timothy, tell those rich people, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. So we're being invited to a redeemed financial life to incorporate your financial life into God's kingdom. So why is money, why are possessions so important to us spiritually? Well, this actually gets dealt with at the very beginning of the Bible. It's all, <coughs> excuse me, all part of God's plan. For example, in the book of Genesis, God creates everything out of nothing. Now, man can create, but he creates from something. God created ex annihilio, that's Hebrew, out of nothing. So if you think you're like God because you can create, no, you got to have something from which to create. God says, I don't need anything. I can create something out of nothing. So he created everything that is. So guess who it belongs to? It belongs to God. Psalms 24, verse 1, in case you're not sure. The earth is the Lord's. The devil does not own the earth, not his. The earth is the Lord's the fullness of it, and all who dwell in it. I'd say that's pretty inclusive. So it's his possession. See, then he creates humans, and he says, okay, now you exercise dominion over the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, dominion is a kingdom word. Your dominion is that sphere of life where what you say goes. Now, for some people, it's a big area. For other people, it's small, but everybody has one. Everybody has a kingdom. It's where your will rules. See, you were made in the image of God. God has a will. God reigns. So it's an important part of being a human being that you have a kingdom and that you have dominion in that kingdom. It starts with your body. In fact, God says not even your body if you're a believer. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. I don't even own that, see? So what's a two-year-old's favorite word? Mine. That's a kingdom word. And what's a two-year-old's other favorite word? No. That's a kingdom word too. Mine and no. So a two-year-old is learning, basically, they have a kingdom. It ain't real big, but they have one. See, that's a good thing. And we can all learn that and should learn it. God says, here's the world, have dominion. Then God says, I will give you every seed-bearing plant, every fruit-bearing tree. God says, I'm going to give to you. 
So if I possess something, it means I have a say over how it'll be used. If I possess something, I have a say over my food, my money, my stuff, my car, my possessions, my clothes. Correct? In other words, possession is the extension of your kingdom. If you don't own it, you don't have any say in it. See, your kingdom starts with your body, but it can grow out from there. We were made to reign, to rule, to influence the world for good under the reign of God. Now, let me pause and quote you something from Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 29 says, If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Now, what does that mean? Years ago, I preached a message on the blessing of Abraham. Most people have no clue what it is, but it's a threefold blessing. First, it is the blessing of promotion. God will lift you. You may be in a bad place today, but people who come to Jesus get lifted. And then it's the blessing of possession. And third, that's ownership. And third, dominion over your adversaries. That's a threefold blessing Abraham gets. And God says in the New Testament, if you come to Jesus, you are spiritually Abraham's offspring and you have covenant rights to all his benefits. So God says you have a right for promotion, you have a right for possession and ownership, and you have a right to dominion. And as you have a, a larger sphere, exercise that dominion. That's why we've been given the authority to bind and loose and to rebuke the adversary and to quote God. I'm not passive. I'm not a victim sucking my thumb, wonder what's going to happen to me. I have a say. I have some reigning and rule. Adam was given authority and dominion over the earth. He, he forfeited it when he sinned, and the enemy got it. So Jesus came as the last Adam and won it all back. And now if you're in Christ, hey, we're back to square one. We have dominion. We have authority to some degree. All of us have some, more, less, but we all have some. And God says, I want you to use it. That's why ownership is so important. Every place we don't own, Satan can rule. That's why you need to get out of renting as soon as you're able and own. It may not be big, but the enemy loses control and power over what you own. If I buy land, buy property, start a business, take turf, everywhere we expand ownership and we prosper, then the enemy loses more ground. So he can only have the ground we give him. Don't give him a square inch. So think big. How can I possess more? I, I, I can honor God with my finances. I can increase my net worth. I can possess more. I can have more authority. I can help more people. We can do more. The bigger we get, the more resources we have, the more we can do to enrich the community. Not just a small area, but a big area. Now, if there's only 12 of us or 50 of us, we're pretty limited. But the bigger we get, the more resources we have, the more property we can control. Are you thinking that big? Are you just thinking the next mortgage payment? No, think big. God wants you to, to be promoted. God wants you to have possession. God wants you to exercise dominion. You have a legal right through Christ as the seed of Abraham. 
Now, I'm a white Caucasian American, but spiritually, I'm right in Abraham's family, and I'm an heir to all of the benefits he was given by God. That'll, that'll unperm your hair. Think about that. That's why possessions and money are so terribly important to your identity and your destiny, and they're not going to go away. They're not bad. They're not something to feel guilty over or even the desire for possession. It's fundamental. I was made by God to possess, to reign under the reign of God over my life in obedience to him in a way that will enhance the lives of other people. You were made to create and possess and delight in a spirit of generosity and gratitude that will enhance the world, make it better under God's loving rule. Ah, but sin gets in the picture. It makes us want to clutch and shut God out and become greedy and stingy and then be deceived. See, people say, well, I'm not in that rich category. I don't have to worry about poor people or another deception. You all know I'm for generosity, and I'd be more generous if I only had more money. That's got to be the biggest lie from hell I ever heard, and it won't even stand up to research. That kind of thinking will lead you down the wrong path every time. And again, to look at research by Dr. Christian Smith, people who make less than $25,000 a year give on average 4.2% of their income to charity. So people who make more than $100,000 a year, people who have four times as much should at least give four times their income, right? Nope, they only give 2.7% of their income. And yet they're making four times as much as people making under $25,000 a year. So the idea that more money will make me more generous is shattered by research. It shows the more you make, the less you give. Duh. That's not even logical. See, Dr. Smith's research found that a majority of U.S. Christians don't even tithe. Tithing is a simple biblical practice from the old to the new, giving 10% of what you make. Now, most all of us could do that. The Bible calls it the first fruits. The firstborn belongs to God. The first part of your harvest belongs to God. That is indoctrinated in people. Jesus told the Pharisees when they tithe little bits of salt and cumin and spice, he said, these things you ought to have done. See, the majority of American Christians say, I don't tithe because I can't afford to give 10% of my income. That's insane. I could take 10% out of everybody's income in here and you won't go broke. You won't miss a meal. Nothing significant is going to change except now you've stepped into a covenant with God from Malachi for God to bless you and to come through for you in hard times. God will not forsake you. Remember, tithing doesn't get you to heaven. It gets you out of debt bondage. Jesus gets you into heaven. You can be a pagan and prosper. Some of them are more generous than Christians who are stingy. I, I never got that. For example, all of God's principles will work for a pagan, except one, go into heaven. He that has many friends must show himself friendly. Bible, Bible principle. So some pagan can be more friendly, have a more network of friends than an old mean grouchy Christian who won't show friendship, who won't mingle with anybody, Right? Well, yeah, and if I follow health practices, I can be a healthy pagan. Maybe I'm going to hell, but I'm healthy. 
while we got Christians who can't breathe, can't, can't fit in a seat. They just struggle, struggle. Marriage, you got pagans with better marriages than Christians because they may be doing what God said you ought to do in a relationship and the Christian won't do it. You see what I'm saying? The only place you don't have any say is going to heaven. That one, Jesus paid the full price alone. And there's nothing you can do to help him. You can only receive that. But every other principle in scripture, I don't care what your race is, where you're from, how old you are, how young you are, even the law of gravity, what goes up is going to come down. If you don't believe it, go jump off our building. I don't care what you are, what you don't believe. You're coming down, baby. That's a law. And these laws by God are to help you, bless you, save you, protect you. See, just crazy. Money never makes anybody generous. God makes people generous. Generous. God said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not just morally good. It's a better way to live. It will lead you to a lot more joy. Now, it is not bad to receive. It's blessed to receive. He's just saying it's more blessed on steroids to be able to give. I love the weekends when we receive offerings and pay for vacation Bible school for the kids in our community or because of your gifts or when we pay for a year's school supplies for underprivileged children and to help the teachers or our Christmas blast yesterday where we provided presents for over 1,500 children in child protective services through your generosity. You just, you just should show up and watch it. Just amazing. And people, you know, I can preach on more blessed to give than receive till I'm blue in the face. But if you were here and you were giving bikes and toys to these precious little children, you would light up. You'd suddenly say, man, I feel good. This, I'm so happy. They're happy. Well, that's part of that law. God says, even more blessed. It's, it's blessed to give. But I'd rather be able to, to give than have to receive. It's okay to receive. But I'd rather be in a position where I can give. Right? Okay, boy, you're so enthusiastic. I'm, the, the silence is deafening. See, it's when we forget about ourselves and help somebody else, we end up getting helped. What you make happen for someone else, God will make happen for you. Not them. God will make it happen. You know, in an article from Forbes magazine by Dr. Rich Cargog, he said this, the irrational act of tithing, that was the article, the irrational act of tithing. He said, it's a strange thing that people think if you tithe or give, you will end up with less. But he writes about people in the business world who discovered that when they started tithing, they're actually having their life enhanced. And the Bible is all over this. Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. Now, your employer may not give it to you, although he might. But he says, shall men give to you? I got a sports car I couldn't afford. My wife wouldn't allow me to buy it if I could afford it. But it was given to me by a businessman doesn't even go to this church. And all I said was, yes. That's it. Yes. And I told you about it so you wouldn't say, oh, look at him. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't buy it. It, the, the point was, somebody did it for me. Men shall give to you. God can touch the heart of people to help your kid in school, to pay a tuition 
should you be lacking? That's why it's important to be in church and be connected. That God will use people to meet your need. Some of you lone star twice a year Christians, you ain't going to get nothing. Nobody even knows what's going on in your life. So God can't supply your need, see? So on so many levels, when I give, I begin to experience a spiritual adventure with God. My God will supply your every need. But if I don't go on that adventure by giving, then I don't get that adventure. See, I won't get that. When I give, my joy goes up. Blood pressure goes down. God loves a cheerful giver, Scripture says. You never see a joyful, selfish, greedy, stingy, clutching person walking around. No Grinch is walking around happy. But when I give, my worry goes down because I find out that I am trusting God instead of my money. When I give, my fear goes down. One guy in the Forbes article said, I found that when I took the risk of tithing, it made it easier to take other risks in other areas of my life including my career, vocational, and financial risk. I remember when Cindy and I stepped over the line in Savannah, Georgia, when I was on staff in a, in a Baptist church, I remember that one of our staff pastors was leaving to start a church in Asheville, North Carolina, Lamont Scott. He had a big family. He had a run-down, nasty car. And I remember, that, I wonder what we could do to help Lamont. And I thought, let's buy him a car. Let's buy him a new car and get rid of that piece of whatever the kids call it. I know what they call it, but I can't say. <laughs> so I couldn't write a check and buy the car, but I said, well, honey, what we can do is let's just tell Lamont to give us the coupon book. Back then, it was 36 payments. Anybody remember that? And he bought the car, gave me the coupon book, and every month, Cindy would write a check for that car payment until we paid it off. In fact, we paid it six months past 36 months because we didn't even think about it. It was so written into our, our routine, we forgot until he called and said, hey, stop paying on it. It's already paid off. And I didn't say, well, give me my money back. It was part of, we still tithed. Plus, we were just doing that simple couple of hundred bucks a month car payment, which made a big difference for him, didn't hurt us at all. That was when we first learned to step over the line. That was, that was a showing how God is faithful. Never missed it. See? So when I give, I get free. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. When I start letting go of money, money starts letting go of me. I use it. It does not use me. We always talk about why I should trust God with my money, but just maybe we should ask a real hard question. Why should God trust you with his money? Are you a good investment for God Almighty in the earth? After all, he's invested for your eternal life. Are you a good steward of what he's given you? And I thank you. Half people have to hang their head and say, no, I'm not, I'm not living up to my potential. I'm not being a good investment. See, how am I actually handling what God's given me or his finances? If you get serious about Paul's command, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share, you can do it one of two ways. First, you could be systematic. Just build it into your system and structure of your life. Build it into your normal monthly routine. Or second, just do it when you feel like it, when the mood strikes you. Which of those two people actually believes in what they're doing? Take two guys. Say they believe in exercise. One does it when he remembers, when he has time, 
when he feels like it. The other guy, he's just built it into his regularly scheduled weekly time, whether he feels like it or not. Which guy is going to be in better shape? Which one really believes? Well, it's easy. The guy who builds it into his life. Or take two husbands. One kisses his wife first thing when he comes home, whether he feels like it or not. The other husband only when the mood hits him. Which marriage has got more kissing going on? Kissing tends to lead to more kissing. I ain't going any further than that, okay? <laughs> my, my point is, what matters to our heart, we build it into our routine in our lives. Paul said each person should give what they've decided in their heart. In other words, get serious. Make a decision in your heart. What's God calling you to give? Don't put giving in a sporadic. I wonder if I have enough left over at the end of the month. I wonder how I'm going to feel after I do this. Don't do that. Be intentional. And I'll tell you how powerful this dynamic is. People who set an annual goal for their giving end up giving twice as much as people who only give what they think they might can afford each week or each month. Just measure that over a lifetime. People who decide at the start of a year to tithe are the people who end up giving 10%. Nobody tithes by accident. It doesn't happen. So Paul says, tell the rich people, which is most of us, be rich in good deeds. Be willing to share. Be generous. So, as Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? So starts with being honest. Sit down, look at your checkbook. Don't be foggy about it. If you're married for crying out loud, talk about it with your spouse. How are we doing, honey? Paul says, decide in your heart what you're going to do. Then build your financial patterns around your giving. Get serious about it. If you pay bills by check, make your first check to, to give to the Lord, of course. Now, people now give online, a little bit different. But build giving into the system of your life. I mean, if somebody gives me an honorarium, if I speak somewhere, first thing we do, Cindy says, okay, write the check for the tithe that following Sunday. It's going right into Summit. Sometimes we'll write more than that, maybe 20%. Maybe we'll fund something that Summit happens to be doing. Sometimes somebody, it ain't often, but sometimes somebody will put some money in my hand on a handshake and after I take a peek at it and see it, if it's not enough to meet my need, I'll be looking around while I'm holding it for somebody to sow it into. See, if it's not enough to meet your need, turn it into seed. That sucker's still producing for me and for the one who gave it to me. It's doing more, right? Like I say, that didn't happen that often, but you'll notice I have fresh skin there and nothing, nothing abra <laughs> abrasive. <laughs> But that's what I do, and I've done it for years. I still do it, see? Then Paul has one more word for rich people, which is us. He says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves in heaven, and who doesn't want that? They'll do it as a firm foundation for the coming age. There is an age that's coming, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, you're going to die, and then there's eternity. And when you die, your net worth is going to take a big hit. So manage your money in light of that day because the life that's really life in eternity is built around generosity, sharing love. Clutching, hoarding, selfishness, greed, and grasping has no life in it. I have to tell you, when somebody gets involved with Jesus' church, when somebody says, I understand, Rick, Jesus gave his life for me, 
So I will take that gift. I will take from God what cost him the life of his son. I will take that for myself, but I will not give as God asked me to give. I will not obey him no matter what. I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm sorry. I don't get that. That's destructive to the human soul. Paul says all the riches of God in Christ are ours. And the early church was made up of people who didn't have much. But they stunned the world with their generosity. And folks, most of us have lots of money compared to them. What if we took the world's breath away again? And for some of you, when you think about this subject, and I've talked about it, it gives you a lot of joy because you can feel God saying to you through his precious spirit, man, you're on a good track. You're really doing good. I'm proud of you. And you want to tell him, thank you, God, for being generous with me. I get to live, have my being. I, I have a roof over my head. I have food in my belly. I have clothes on my back. I have transportation. I have a job. I thank you. I have some great friends to do life with. Oh, thank you. I got up this morning to cold, thir 38 degrees on the back porch to take Lily out in the dark. And I'm just saying, Lord, I do it every morning. Thank you for I get to live another day on your earth, on planet earth. What a privilege. Thank you. There are a lot of people who didn't wake up today. There are a lot of people who won't wake up tomorrow. And we never know who they are. You could be here today. Or maybe you get mad or you get scared because you don't even like the topic because of that guilt. See, I'm talking to a believer now. See, it's a heart condition. When your security is in money, your source of stress and anxiety, your security is going to be caused by money. It's not worth it. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. My heart follows my treasure. My treasure does not follow my heart, but my heart will follow my treasure. Where I've invested, where I have given, I care about it. If I'm part of this church, I want it to do well. I want, it, I want modeling, remodeling. I want it to be clean. I want it to be excellent. I want to add as we're able through your generosity what we can to better communicate with people. I want a gym down here on this property. I have never let go of that in my heart or dream with classes in it for our kids in school. I want that. I don't feel like we're there. I, don't, I feel like as Joshua said to Israel in the promised land, hey, gang, don't get down. Don't get comfortable in those chairs. There's a lot of land we hadn't conquered yet. It remains to be conquered. So let's get on with the program. Let's, take, let's run the enemy out. Let's take over more land and possession. Some of you think bigger. Maybe invest some of your money into expanding your business or whatever so you can take more land, more possessions, more dominion, and squeeze Satan so he has to choke and, and start where you are. Start teaching your children to give. When our girls, I know some of you that had little children, they're all grown now, but I remember when they got babysitting money or if somebody gave them $25 for their birthday gift, we said, you're going to tie that. Now, I wouldn't say that was from their heart when they were this side, but we were setting a pattern for building the discipline to honor the Lord, to take care of them. Now they do that automatically, but you have to train them to do that. You can learn generosity, hang around generous people, and you can catch that. You'll never go poor being a generous person. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.